the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, May 20th, 2022. Kelly Cooper, candidate for Congress, is going to join us again in just a little bit. First, I wanted to tell you, I was listening to a radio host this morning who is a recently retired middle school teacher. And he was talking about the students in his class and their understandings of communism. Most, he said, whose families came from communist countries want nothing to do with it. Most, not all. That's a longtime second generation problem here in America. We can get into it more, but hold that thought momentarily. Far more, nearly all of the students whose parents had been here for a few generations were either open to the philosophy of communism or supportive of it. That should not be surprising any more than it should be surprising we get interview after interview, usually from organizations like Project Veritas or the Libs of TikTok, showing millennials in positions of authority, namely, you know, heads of social social media platforms, school teachers, saying things that would outrage most adults educated a generation earlier. You know, teaching is a revolutionary act to them. Freedom of speech is not our ethic to them. White people, if conservative, are really white supremacists to them. None of that should surprise because they are interviewing millennials, the largest age cohort in America, ages roughly 25 to 40, and because over one-third of that age cohort, over one-third of that age cohort has a popular view of communism. And the generation behind it, Generation Z, those aged about 10 to 25, has an even higher portion of populars views about communism. We're getting worse at this, folks. There is either strong support for the socialist message, a socialist message, or at minimum, a downgrading, a defining down of its noxiousness going on in our high culture and in our education establishments. Consider what I said yesterday about the private school in Phoenix that tried to graft anti-Semitism onto a television host because he had someone on a few had heard of that speaks somewhat ill of the lobby that supports Israel and America, as opposed to catalogs of very prominent leftists who are elected members of Congress and self-identify as socialists and say the exact same thing, except worse and more often, and are ignored or supported, but never evidenced to our youth as legatees of true bigotry, from our past, who clearly also embraced the ideologies of those failed views like communism and socialism. Communism and socialism is sanitized and endowed here by the media, by the education establishment, and by the leadership of the Democratic Party, from ex-presidents to the current Speaker of the House. Gus Hall and Angela Davis, now the darling of the squad, ran for president, could run for president in 1984 here on the communist ticket, and they did, and they received a total of 36,000 votes in 1984. Today, I bet they might come in second in some states. Back when Hall and Davis were considered absurdities, there were no socialist members of Congress. Six years later, there were, and that number has increased in both the House and the Senate. 
I was rechecking some history here, and the New York Times did a profile on Gus Hall in 1984 and wrote this interesting sentence, quote, The theme of this year's Communist Party campaign is not so much to vote for Mr. Hall as to vote against Mr. Reagan, close quote. Then it hit me. The same is true today. It's not just the agenda that appeals. It's that to many, so long as we're going after Republicans, going stronger and harder is much that animates affiliation with communism and socialism in America. After all, outside of the marginalia, where would today's Democratic Party of Biden, Harris and Pelosi be different if the leadership were Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elon Omar? And do keep in mind, as I keep reminding, Pelosi and the Democratic Party leadership endorse and endow the AOCs and Omars and Rashida Tlaibs over and against moderate Democrats who try to challenge them. Those that think the Democratic Party leadership is moderate, that's your moderate Democratic leadership. So it's time to ask the Abraham Lincoln question. How did we get here? If we could first know where we are and whither we are tending, we could then better judge what to do and how to do it, is how Lincoln put it. Well, we've been warning of this for some time, since at least the 1980s, when major universities like Stanford began the task of replacing our history and civilization with a new one, based on all the Marxist concepts of race and post-colonialist theory. Throw in antagonism, if not opposition, to Judeo-Christian values and religions, and there you go. Leading the way, in 1988, Stanford, by a faculty vote of 39 to 4, voted to get rid of their Western civilization curriculum and replace it with something Marx himself could not have better labeled, quote, cultures, ideas, and values, close quote. All cultures, all ideas, all values being equal, or at least none better than any other. Neglected here, behind the lattice work of criticizing America, was the quest to forget what Alan Bloom once wrote. He said, Our story is the majestic, triumphant march of two principles, freedom and equality, a universal standard for legitimacy and treating humans as humans, from their minds and souls to their physical bodies. It's worth reminding here, folks, what Marx himself wrote, that it was his view of the world that the task of philosophy up until he arrived was merely to interpret the world. His view was it was now his task to change it. Change it such that things like debate or free speech or religion would become the new opiate of the masses. You defeat your opponent's arguments by trampling on your opponents and treating them with contempt. And value judgments replaced reason and truth. Rather than taking human equality and freedom as a starting point for our country, outside factors were used to replace truth, to determine truth and to create common societal enemies in need of re-education, gulags, or concentration camps. For Nazis, it would be religion and ethnicity. For Maoists and Leninists, it would become class. And no better way to change a story of equality and freedom in our elementary and secondary schools than to change the very date of that announcement or founding to 160 years before 1776 so that slavery is our story and not freedom and equality. How did this become attractive to idealistic young youth? Well, it started just as I said above, by downplaying the evils of communism. When Ronald Reagan proclaimed the Soviet Union an evil empire, the cognoscenti in America went nuts. The New York Times editorialized that his speech was primitive. It went on, quote, 
If there is anything that should be illegitimate in the American system, it is such use of sectarian religiosity to sell a political program. And this was not done by some fringe figure, but by the president of the United States. How many people reading about that speech or seeing bits on television really noticed its outrageous character? Our political sensibilities have become degraded, close quote. That was the New York Times on Ronald Reagan calling the Soviet Union an evil empire. Calling communism evil was the evil to the New York Times, and that was when it was still somewhat starboard of where it is today in the 1980s. Primitive was their word. You see, right and wrong is primitive, bad thinking, old thinking. It reminds me of nothing so much as what the Czech novelist Milan Kundera wrote. I quote it a lot because it's important. Quote, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, and then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. And before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was, close quote. Are we not there after 40 years or so of this experiment? Nay, I should say effort. Perhaps Jean-Francois Ravel had it just as well. He wrote, Quote, clearly a civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does will lack the energy and conviction to defend itself, close quote. Pause to note that the strongest comments about historical revision that we can find, the strongest quotes in the strongest literature, interestingly enough, comes from European writers. We should remember that. And we have been here felt made to feel guilty for everything we have done. That is why so much of the left hammers at the slavery that existed in half this country and ended about 160 years ago and refuses to condemn slavery where it exists right now today in China or African or Muslim cultures. You see, they are to be favored, apologized for, because you see, they are poised against America. And we, by default, always must be wrong. We are today's evil empire to the modern left. Forgotten, of course, is this slavery defines us viewpoint is that it was half the country, less than half, actually. And the majority of the country tried to and did eradicate slavery. It went to war singing songs with such lyrics as with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men holy. Let us die to make men free while God is marching on. And based on our founding documents that the left wants to eradicate, is where they got those notions. But you see, we cannot teach that anymore or know it anymore because we did something good, big, and important. We did good, and we did good with our founding, and we did good with God. And that is not the socialist or Marxist way. And so an evil elixir has been brewed for our youth here. As one professor recently put it, for those with no memory of the Cold War, the stigma of socialism is absent. That now pretty much includes everyone under 30. I dare say it may include everyone under 40 as well. Good work in writing new books, manufacturing a new culture, and inventing a new history. But if it takes, it will not end well. You are seeing the results here and there of it now. And that is how we got here. And that is why I spend so much time saying we should take education so much more seriously here. And that is why we fight. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back and delighted to say Kelly Cooper will join us again as well. Don't go away. We'll return.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Kelly Cooper is a candidate for Congress. He was here with us uh, for part of this, uh, our last hour, and he heard I was going to do a monologue on education. He says, I want to talk about education, too. I said, stick around. We'll keep you around. So Kelly Cooper is in studio with us, kellycooperarizona.com. Is his website candidate in running for Congress in CD4 to take out Greg Stanton? It's something we can do. This is an achievable goal, which is why I'm so delighted you're in this race, uh, Kelly, and uh, that you're in studio. I want to return to some other issues uh, that face the district and face the country, having to do with the border, having to do with uh, law enforcement and crime. Sure. But let's stay. Let's talk a little bit about uh, education. Absolutely. Um, your, your thoughts on it. Your views on it. Uh, so before the pandemic came around and a lot of parents were woken up to what was happening in, in public schools, we, my wife and I chose uh, public charter schools. So my daughter, Kennedy, and my son, Mason, are first and second graders at, at uh, one of the schools out here. I can tell you what good education looks like because my daughter is learning geometry and can recite to the preamble to the Constitution, which you can find on my website because she does. And my son and my daughter both say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. And it's not really that it's indoctrination, but it it really is about respect for the the work of the people that came before you and the hard science education that happens. Now, for me, education went off its rails publicly thereabouts 75 to 100 years ago with the removal of religion and morality. It opened the door for these assaults and the building of this indoctrination factory that you find today. And I've written on it. uh, I have some articles about some of the things that you see in the public school system. And when I say this, I would like to be careful and clear that what I'm saying is not the teachers necessarily. It's the system and the lack of oversight within the system that allows for the one-offs to make them all look bad. So we have great teachers. Uh, My kids are in what I deem and have researched to be a great educational system, and they're learning the hard sciences. And so when we come out of all of this, they're going to be light years ahead of of a lot of the people that came through the public education system. But what we have today is already being under assault. So I don't know how many people listening understand or know this, but uh, the federal government's put in a new restriction. So in the state of Arizona, we have educational freedom, school choice. And they've made it now where you cannot open a new charter school without a market survey to prove need, and that need cannot be long lines at your charter schools. And then they have to partner with a public school and get the approval and sign-off of that public school to be able to open a new charter school. Public schools, ab initio, hate charter schools. Just so oh, you absolutely. Know. Just so you know. You it's are competition. Ask, yeah, you are asking the uh, defense attorney to grant the prosecution's uh, wish. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay. So now if, if you then have license over creating or or obstructing your competition, we create mediocrity or at least the appropriate tools to create mediocrity. And you see that in every level of our government. Mediocrity is is created in an environment where there is no competition. And that's the beauty of small business because we all have to compete with each other and, and do the best job we can and get people to want what we provide. So, yeah, our, our education system in my view, uh, has some serious flaws that can be addressed, it can be fixed. And it's not necessarily the teachers overall. It's the bureaucracy, the unions, uh, the Department of Education. And the boards of education, quite frankly, at the local level, which is what is kind of an interesting nexus to what you're saying because so many of us – 
were under the impression that education should be, by and large, as local um, a governed uh, as local a governed system as possible and subject to local concerns, mores, customs, and desires of the consumer. And here you have the federal government in what you're talking about going after charter schools, leveraging its power to limit charter schools. And the most interesting thing you said to me about this, Kelly, was that they're looking at indices that have nothing to do with the consumer. With right. the client. Right. The line outside the door, the waiting list to get into these prized charters is irrelevant. That is not something that constitutes need. That's amazing to me. Uh, absolutely. It's it's federalization. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and it applies to the police. It, it applies to education. It applies to almost everything that you can see. Our federal government is this growing bureaucracy that needs to be fed. And it needs to be fed money. Without power and control, they can't control money and they can't continue to feed that beast. That's why you see a lot of this stuff happening today. Uh, Kelly Cooper is our guest. Uh, he is a candidate for Congress here in Arizona's newly created Congressional District 4. And uh, you can check him out at KellyCooperArizona.com. KellyCooperArizona.com. You mentioned the police. We haven't talked a lot about the police sure, absolutely. crime. Let's do that a little bit. Uh, what's going on? What are your thoughts? Oh, God. Um George Soros. You were telling me. Well, let's start with the good news. You were telling me that some of these law enforcement uh, uh, organizations have uh, gotten behind your campaign. Oh yeah, so we've Highly we've earned impressive. the endorsements of the Arizona Police Association and the Phoenix Police Sergeants and Lieutenants Association. We've earned the endorsement of SEAL Pack, so Navy SEAL SEAL Pack. Um, we've earned the endorsement of the City of Chandler's former Chief of Police, and we're working on uh, Border Patrol, AZ Cops, AZ Plea. Hopefully those those folks will come on board as well. Uh, my history in military service and you know structure, discipline, law and order uh, really lends myself to, I think, see this picture pretty clearly and fight for what needs to happen. In my view, uh, the assault on the police comes from many, many levels, and it includes consent decrees. It includes George Soros-backed um, DAs. It includes... Um, demonizing the police themselves so the morale is at an all-time low. And you see this every day. I mean, anytime you go and talk to any police department, they'll tell you that they're hemorrhaging people and they don't have applicants coming in. And why would you? When, when you're, the work that you did was undone by DAs and then the other work that you're doing is being treated as if it's demon work, why would anybody ever want to do that? I don't think people understand how serious a point it is that you're making. Um, I have always, uh, whenever I see a cop sitting next to me at a stop sign or passerby or whatever, I've always thanked them. And usually they would say things like, you bet, you know, thank you for your service. You bet. Now they actually look me in the eye, pause and say with a really sincere chest, Thank you. Well, means something to, let me take the break. We'll pick up on that when we come back, if that's cool. Kelly yeah, Cooper is our guest. KellyCooperArizona.com is his website. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Kelly Cooper, candidate for Congress, is our guest. KellyCooperArizona.com is his website. And we were talking a little bit about rising crime and law enforcement uh, people in Phoenix uh, who look to support law enforcement or look at least for leadership 
in this uh, city that supports law enforcement know there are far too few names, but one they know that always has law enforcement's back is Sal DeCicio, and I was delighted to hear he too has endorsed you as well, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I got an email here uh, from uh, a veteran asking about uh, other veterans organizations you might have been involved with, uh, VFW, other organizations you may have... Uh, sure, yeah. So uh, I'm a lifetime member of the VFW, lifetime member of the American Legion. Um, I do spend my time as much as I can around different vets uh, until I really ran. You know, I'm working five, six, seven days a week in the restaurant, mopping floors and cleaning the bathroom. So running for Congress and raising a family. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, the energy, Listen, I, the energy none, is incredible. None, none we of need this. It. We need it. No, 100 uh, percent. But none of this happens without my wife. So let, let me not oh, take all the credit. Sure. She she provides a lot of foundation for me to be able to do this. But. Yeah, um, I know that the DAV is out there. There's Operation Shockwave. I've worked with uh, Shockwave. I haven't worked with DAV um, directly, but I do have some people that um, within my sphere that work pretty directly with all of those different groups. And you know, that's it's one of the things that's most important to me to be able to help people that really stood up for us. What angers me, Cal, is that. We have all these groups doing this great work, sure. all these civic mm-hmm. groups, what James Madison called auxiliary enforcements. And it just, you know, we see ads for them on TV, on the radio, of course, and you're mentioning your work with them. And it just dawns on me, it's a shame that we have to have these groups. When you think about what's taking place at the border and when you talk to people who support the open border policies that we have right now or want to turn a blind eye to it, it just makes me ask a simple question. I'm willing to engage that debate, but not until you can tell me that we've taken care of all the obligations we have with the people that have served this country already. Sure. It just seems that we have a real deficit in priority here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how, how can we send $40 billion to Ukraine, but we have homeless vets with mental health issues? That's the point. How, how can we have no baby formula on the shelves and pallets at the border. Now, I'm not saying that those pallets at the border are enough to restock all of our supply. No, but those are but, those are some pretty big pallets. But yeah. but but how is it that they're there yeah. and not being redirected? How is it that we didn't get in front of this supply chain issue uh, when we shut down that factory, which provides 40 percent of the country? Why? How can you have a department, a bureaucracy, shut that down, not link anything back to that factory over their research, but even if they had not recognized that that was going to create a supply chain issue and go out to the outside and and start saying okay well let's let's relax some of these trade rules let's uh, look at chi- uh, uh, Canada and Mexico and and see where we can bring in some product to help supplement in the in the short run so that our supply isn't just eaten down and we have nothing to to look at which is where we're at now you had mentioned of all the offenses to the country and soul and mind with how we got out of Afghanistan was additional pain when we learned that we had all the predictions that this would happen. We had knowledge. We had knowledge of forethought that what the Biden plan was going to do would lead to what did happen, what would eventuate. Uh, it's turning out we're learning this about the baby formula problem as well. We're learning that the I was saying, based on some stuff Congress people were sell, sending me, that the administration was put on notice as far back as February. Yesterday, I come to learn February. Heck, they were put on notice even before Feb. They were put on notice early twenty. Uh, excuse me, late in twenty twenty one. And I've got to imagine the supply chain issue for the rest of the stuff. You're in the restaurant business. It must be affecting your business a bit too. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, 
you're about to have a, a, an explosion in price for wings and many, many other things along the supply. And that's why when we talk about the economy, for me, it's that's my wheelhouse, right? So I know um, how how gas prices and energy has affected, you know, the production of corn, tractors, traffic, bringing it over to the cattle, feeding the cattle, managing that farm, taking it from there to, um, you know, the production and storage and then shipping it. I mean, it's everywhere. But COVID uh, carried some responsibility for this. Let's not move past that. But uh, our fiscal policies here also created an environment where people weren't encouraged to go back to work. That created supply chain issues, and you, we struggle on a regular basis finding different things. There was a ketchup shortage not that long ago. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Ketchup shortage. This administration's idea of fighting inflation is to raise taxes. We haven't talked about taxes. Can we do that on the other side of this Absolutely. Break? I'm Seth Leapson. He's Kelly Cooper, candidate for Congress here in the newly created Congressional District 4. KellyCooperArizona.com is his website. I don't think I need to, but just in case, Kelly Cooper is K-E-L-L-Y-C-O-O-P-E-R, KellyCooperArizona.com. When you have a name like Seth Leapson, you have to spell it. Kelly Cooper, it's a little easier. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. For those of you looking for a really unique investment opportunity, I should say more than unique, great investment opportunity. That means a great return for investors. I want you to check out my friends at Why Refi. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of debt the right way, doing the right thing and paying off their debts and helping them do so and doing so with dignity, even fixing their FICO scores along the way. Why Refi is offering a fixed no load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others and you can be too. They're a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They just love talking about what they do and I think you'll love it too if you go and visit and meet with them. Check them out in the meantime at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com or give them a call at 855 855- Three one six three zero eight seven. That's com, and tell him Seth sent you. Kelly Cooper is our in studio guest. He's been with us uh, a little bit in the last segment, last hour, and a little bit in this one. Delighted to have him. Kelly Cooper Arizona dot com is his website. Candidate in the newly created congressional district four. Uh, Kelly, you understand the economy. You were telling us it is your wheelhouse. One of the things that you don't hear enough talk about, I don't think, in this election cycle, although it is perennial and it is not getting better, and that's the issue of burdens upon small businesses and the engine that constitutes economic stability and growth in this country, burdened not only by taxes, but I think even more so regulations. And I wonder if you might address yourself to those issues. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll give you two. I'll give you a tax and then I'll give you a regulation. So uh, I'll I'll give you a prediction and an early recession, not that I'm cheering this on, but an early recession might assuage some of this. Yeah, I know you were warning about it. So Prop 206, uh, the minimum wage uh, ballot initiative that came around seven years ago, it, it took our minimum wage from 805 to $12 an hour. And then in that language, it was written with a CPI, cost of co- cost of living increase or an inflation increase, based on the CPI in August. 
Now, with our inflation rates being 8.5, 8.3, the inflation rate in August is going to be something like 10, 15%. Let's just assume it's only 8%. In January, then, the mechanism is that you will automatically have a minimum wage increase of that 8, 10, 15%. Now, the problem with that is there is no reversing or negative back-off mechanism for what happens between August and December. And as I said at the beginning, we will very likely be in recession. Now, the reason that we'll be in recession is because of the particip- labor participation rates, but those being so low, when we get there and all these people are out looking for work, you're going to have a minimum wage increase that's going to force small businesses out of business at the beginning of the year, which is going to double down on the issue. So that's one. The next one, and this is a tax-related one, and you you hear a lot of this on the left talking about the Trump tax cuts, the Jobs of Prosperity Act. They're evil. They're for big business. What most people don't know, they're set to expire in 2025, and written within there is a 20% tax cut for small businesses. Now, the idea that you are going to chop the knees out from underneath small businesses and remove that 20% tax cut is massive coupled with a minimum wage increase, coupled with a recessionary climate, you can see the pieces and fibers coming together of a real bad issue coming up. And a lot of your politicians that are going don't have any idea. They don't know what to stand up for. Uh, Make sure that you reach out when you're at your town hall meetings, when you're at your meet and greets. Ask them. Ask them what they understand about taxes. Ask them what they understand about the economy because between the border and the economy, those are two massive issues. And if you don't have people that understand it when they're representing, they don't know how to fix it, and they'll fall for the traps that some of these other um, historic Republicans have fallen for that led to the the historic left push that we've been facing with. You know, as you're talking, Kelly, it dawns on me there's a related question I haven't asked candidates about in a long time, and that's about readiness, uh, work readiness, employment readiness, but also military readiness. I've been reading studies <clears throat> for the past several years about how we just aren't training our youth anymore to be prepared at age 18 when they graduate high school, either to get a job, go to college, and just as importantly, if not more so, to join the military. The, uh, the, 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 the qualification rate for the military is staggeringly scary at this point. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you might address something to that effect, too. Whether we're not doing it right in the high school level with work training, uh, our, 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 our efforts that have gotten rid of what we used to call vocational tech and that kind of thing, it just seems to me we're not doing a very good job of training young women and young men to be ready for the world that they're about to inherit when they turn 18, 19, and 20. Sure, because we've put so much focus on telling people they have to have college degrees. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. And I I like to talk about a lot of times I'll I'll talk about the government picking winners and losers. That's exactly what that is. And it created an environment where these colleges created all these programs that aren't life relevant. Right. So you're spending $200,000 to get a college education in interpretive dance. How many interpretive dance jobs are there really out there? so that you can earn the money to pay that back. I, I volunteer it. Right. I, I just do vol- I do it as a volunteer position. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, out here we've done a pretty decent job of starting the process. So you have, you know, EVIT is a great school that we have over here in the East Valley that gets into, into technical uh, research. I think that we need to get away from pushing people to college. There are, there are 
job pathways that require that. Sure. But not all of them. There's a lot of force readiness stuff that comes right out of high school if you have the technical training. And the same thing is true for the military. But we're so busy in our education system talking about justice or anti-justice or social programs or what's a man and what's a woman and you should be able to choose whatever you want that we're not focused on the things that we really have to be focused on, which is educating our youth because they're the ones that are going to be taking care of our country and ourselves a generation from now when we need it. And where will we be when they don't understand the principles of basic life? Kelly Cooper, thank you. Well said, sir. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly Cooper for Congress. KellyCooperArizona.com is his website. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a final thought. want to thank you for spending some of your time with us this afternoon, this week. It means a ton to us. Thank you for letting us enter your thoughts, your cars, your homes, uh, your hearts, your souls. I want to do a shout-out to a couple special listeners, Kennedy and Mason. And I guess I want to close this week and particularly this show with um, a thought from Ronald Reagan. You've heard me often quote him and a lot of you quote him on his uh, line that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. He said, we didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. I've always thought that quote so important, not only for what it says, but for the very fact that the first time he ever said it was in Phoenix, Arizona in 1961, and that we, I think, are obliged to vouchsafe it especially not just because it was Reagan, but it was Reagan here. In his inaugural speech as governor of California in 1967, he used a slight variation on it, and I'll close completely the show with that. He said in his inauguration speech as governor, freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation, for it only comes once to a people, and those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. Knowing this, he said, it's hard to explain those among us who even today would question the people's capacity for self-government. I've often wondered if they will answer, those who subscribe to that philosophy, if no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else? It's worth reflecting on, folks, worth reflecting on a lot. Wish you a great weekend, happy, healthy, and safe one. We'll be back Monday, and until then, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.